Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. It's January 29th. It's a new podcast, and we're going to do a couple of different things on this podcast. The first thing is that we're going to break some news on the podcast today about two new cases that I got involved in last week, and also a new section of the podcast is going to be a weekly music feature. Now, keep in mind that I'm not allowed to actually play music on the podcast for copyright purposes from what my producer tells me. Naturally, I'm a lawyer and I haven't bothered to investigate this because I'm too lazy when it comes to non-law things, you know, for my for my practice. But if anybody here who's listening remembers listening to my radio programs from 10, 15 years ago when I had my own show, the best part to me was picking the music for the intros and the outros to each section. I mean, there was constantly commercial breaks and you'd have music when you'd come back in and you'd have music when you'd go back out. And that was always the best part of the show for me to be able to pick out music that I didn't believe people were ever listening to either anymore or ever. Mostly it was things that I was interested in, a, a lot of punk music, classic rock, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to at least give a recommendation for a song today for the first time, I believe, on the podcast. And I think every week I'm going to give a recommendation. But on to things that are in the news uh, first. And this also deals with uh, some legal stuff, obviously, the latest disastrous Trump trial. It's it's, I'm almost without words, but of course I'm doing a podcast, so I have to find the words. I'm going to play a clip after the verdict when Trump lost yet again another trial. And this is from his just almost impossibly stupid lawyer, Halima, Halima Baba, outside of court. I want you to listen to this full clip first, and then I'm going to discuss it. Go ahead. It twisted. We are seeing a violation of our justice system, ladies and gentlemen. You are not allowed to be stripped of every defense that you have. You are not allowed to be told that you can't bring it up. And imagine a point where a judge tells the lawyer before your client, the former president of the United States, the leading candidate and obvious nominee for the Republican Party, before he takes the stand to defend himself, Ms. Haba, tell me the questions you're going to ask in open court and tell me exactly what he's going to respond. And then edited my questions, edited the response he was allowed to give. And guess what my client did? He took the stand. He abided by the rules of this corrupt system that I have seen. We will immediately appeal. We will set aside that ridiculous jury. And I just want to remind you all of one thing. I will continue with President Trump to fight for everybody's First Amendment right to speak. Everybody's a right to defend themselves when they are wrongfully accused and to be able to say, I didn't do it. And to double and triple and quadruple down and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. But we are in the state of New York. We are in a New York jury, and that is why we are seeing these witch hunts, these hoaxes, as he calls them. And this is another one of them. Be brought in New York, in states where they know they will get juries like this. Okay. Now, there's so much that's wrong in what she said. She has this fake, massive outrage, and she thinks she's making these amazingly powerful points. But like here... And because they came from her, 
they're all idiotic. She complains that her client, Trump, should be treated differently because he was president and is now the presumptive nominee for the Republican Party. So what? I mean, why should he be given special consideration on evidentiary rulings as a civil litigant just because he was president? I mean, who could say such a thing? It's so moronic and so embarrassing. It comes out of her mouth, and there's no there's no governor. You know, like you have a governor on an engine to make sure it doesn't go that fast. There's no governor in her brain that stops her from saying these just completely idiotic things. You remember the old uh, adage, justice is blind? Apparently, to Helena, Helena Baba, justice is not blind. Mr. Trump was president. Mr. Trump is running for president. Therefore, he should get evidentiary rulings going his way. And, you know, to the regular, to the, to the regulars, to the normals that have to actually litigate inside the Southern District of New York's courthouse, they should get all the crappy rulings. Trump should get the good ones. She just doesn't understand how dumb this sounds. You know, it's almost like she thinks like this is like a nightclub. And you put on your, you know, your, your, your hair, you get your wig on, and you, you plump up your fake boobs, you put your lipstick on and, and whatnot, and you get to the front of the line at a nightclub? It's not like that in federal court. Justice is blind. You're supposed to have fair treatment for all. It doesn't happen all the time, but at least you try not to say such a thing. And if you say it, what you should say, the appropriate thing for Helena Baba to say was, look, we don't want any special consideration. We want to be treated like everybody else. We don't want to be demonized by the judge because he, he's a leftist and he hates Trump. He was appointed by a Democratic uh, president, and he clearly hates Trump. All we want is fairness. We want a level playing field. That's all we expected, and it's not what we got. That's how you say it. You don't say Mr. Trump was president and he deserves better rulings. Are you out of your fucking mind? How does, how does like a, a big hook, you know, like a big hook should be coming and pulling her out of there. You know, like when you're on stage and you're, and you're, you're not performing well, a big hook comes and it pulls you out. Or somebody should throw like raw vegetables at her. Isn't that what they used to do? I mean, like, you know, rotten tomatoes. That's what you do. You throw things like that. Or that's what should have been done. Then she says, quote, you're not allowed to be stripped of every defense you have. Well, again, to say such a thing displays a complete ignorance of the process. This was a case for damages only, not for a determination of whether Trump sexually assaulted Jean Carroll. The defense she wanted to get before the jury but was not allowed to do last week was that Trump didn't do this sexual assault. But that issue was not before the jury last week. I'm going to give you some background. Gene Carroll filed a, a, a defamation suit against Trump in 2019. She didn't sue for rape because at the time, the statute of limitations had run on her uh, claim that she had been raped decades ago. 
She was just suing him for defamation when he claimed that he had never met her and no assault had occurred. But then in 2022, the law in New York changed. The law is called the Adult Survivors Act, which opened the one-year window for adult accusers to file suit for incidents that occurred outside the civil statute of limitations. This is how Bob Dylan got sued for something that happened in 1960 by some idiotic lawyers. And, you know, things like that happened. Uh, Gene Carroll then filed another lawsuit, this one over the incident and defamatory statements after Trump's presidency ended. That was the trial which occurred in April of last year, and that was the one that Trump lost in about five minutes before a New York jury as well inside that same courthouse. The trial which ended last week was for the first claim that she made and for punitive damages because Trump keeps defaming Jean Carroll by denying that he even knew her, even though a jury's found that he sexually assaulted her. He was making this defense during the trial on his social media, on and on and on. And look, now I'm not saying that it's fair. I'm not saying that it's right. But when you know that a judge has made a ruling, if you can't win it legally, well, you know, you have to respect the law. You have to respect the judge. Otherwise, you look like you're above the law. You think you're above it all. And it also may cost you money. And, and then she, Helena Baba says, you are not allowed to be told that you can't bring it up. No, you're wrong. This happens all the time in trials. I know it's happened to me. It's called evidentiary rulings, Helena. Helena Baba, you can't bring up something that violates the rules of evidence, that violates a court order, or is irrelevant or prejudicial and improper. Happens all the time. She doesn't know this because I don't think she's ever tried a case before this one from last week. Honest to God, I think the cases that she's tried are like very low-level civil cases in New Jersey. You know, that's what she was. She was a parking garage lawyer, you know, probably charging, I don't know, $150, $200 an hour. She was a nothing. She was a nobody. So I don't think she's ever tried cases like this. And I don't think she understands how, how it works. She acted like she was stunned that Judge Kaplan insisted upon knowing the questions and answers for Trump's brief testimony. It happens all the time in that courthouse. It's happened to me. I've had it during trials. I had it during the Gotti trial in that courthouse. When you have a very specific ruling on what the defense can or can't do, and there's some question as to what is permitted into evidence, what the jury is allowed to see and hear, the judge wants to make sure that no mistakes are made. So the judge will work with the lawyers to give boundaries as to what can be asked of a witness to make sure the answers don't run afoul of the, the court's rulings. And we'll basically craft that examination. It's not like there was any aha moments here with Trump's testimony. Everybody knew what he was going to say. So why wouldn't you go through with the judge to make sure you don't run afoul of his uh, rulings? You, you craft the examination. You get it to the judge. You say, is this allowed? The judge will say, I'm going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do that. So you say, well, can I ask this question? Well, it depends on what the answer is. You give it to the judge, the government hears, and or in this case, the opposing civil litigant, and you make sure that only the right stuff gets in before the jury, because once it's heard by the jury, it's hard to unring a bell, so to speak. So you want to make sure that there's not going to be any prejudice to either of the litigants by, you know, putting in something that doesn't belong there. So Helena Baba doesn't understand this because 
I'm sure, I'm certain that she's never tried a federal case. I'd almost bet anything on it because her her actions, her her competence was so, was so level, was so low, excuse me, was so beyond belief low that it's clear that she's never done this. What Haba and Trump were trying to do was to allow him to deny that he sexually assaulted Gene Carroll in a trial that was just for damages when that issue was already decided by a jury in that courthouse last April. The judge ruled that a sexual assault had already occurred and that it was, in fact, not disputed anymore in terms of whether it was a proven fact. And then Trump and Haba are claiming they want to relitigate this issue before the jury. And the judge properly said, I've already determined that you can't. But Trump is stage whispering at the defense table that her claims, that Gene Carroll's claims are a fraud, that it's a lie, that he never met the woman, that it's a hoax, that it's rigged. You know, the same bullshit that he says every time he loses, which is fairly often now. Everything's rigged and a hoax. And he's defying the judge. He's defying the judge's rulings. And he's wrong to do so. Look, you can act like an asshole all you want in court because you feel you're right. I I know I've done it to some degree. But understand you're going to pay for it. And in a case when I'm going up against the case where I know it's impossible for me to win the trial, uh, like the El Chapo case, I mean, although in my mind I still believe that I was going to, sometimes you take a little more risk. It's not like I had a chance of getting a gigantic money judgment against my client. My client was going to lose anyway. So the judge told me during Chapo, you can't claim uh, you know, this or that about the U.S. government, that they're selectively prosecuting Chapo and they're letting other drug dealers go. So what did I do? I said, fuck it. I did it anyway during the opening. And there was the whole world was watching. At the end of the summation, excuse me, at the end of the opening statement, the judge called us the sidebar. And he was at least as tough as Kaplan. I didn't win a damn motion during that trial, before, during, or after. And he said, uh, I want the government to move to strike your entire opening statement. The government didn't even object. But the judge was an, an activist judge. He wanted El Chapo to lose. So he was working basically for the government at that point. They didn't even object to the opening. He objected for them, told them to write a motion that night, the first night, to move to strike my opening statement. I looked at the judge and I'm like, go ahead, knowing that if he did it, it was going to look awful and look as if the court was trying to silence uh, this very high-profile defendant. That's what judges do. Doesn't mean that they're right, but, you know, sometimes you have to respect the law. I didn't in that instance, I suppose. I thought that I was close enough to the line that it was okay. The judge didn't think so. And he ended up not striking uh, the opening, and I did the. I ended up finishing my opening the next day. I, I was in the middle of it when the day ended it. And the government, of course, now that they got the idea that the judge was willing to stop me unilaterally without their being involved, they suddenly got hot for it, and they tried to move to strike the rest of my opening. And the court correctly said, nope, he went up to the line, but he didn't cross it. But this is a different kind of case. This is one for money. And acting like a clown... Having your client, you know, stage whisper and throw his arms up. You know, come on, man. This is not a criminal trial. El Chapo was facing, I don't know, 12 life sentences. 
during his case? He acted like a gentleman and kept his mouth shut the entire time. He didn't have one outburst in three and a half months. In four days of trial, Trump lost his mind like 10 times. Why? Because it was money. That's all it was about this trial. He already lost the one about whether or not he did it. He just cares about money. It's the only time you ever see him really getting uh, passionate about something. He certainly doesn't care about what's going on in the country. He doesn't even know what's going on, but he knows about his money. So what Judge Kaplan did during the trial last week is that, you know, he said, look, I'm not going to let this happen in terms of testimony when Trump and his lawyer are completely disobeying every order that I'm making. He wanted to keep a tight control on what Trump was going to say before the jury uh, during his testimony uh, because Trump, again, had no respect for the judge's rulings or the entire legal process. He asked the judge to throw him out, you know, of the courtroom in front of the jury. And, you know, you think that the stage whispers and Trump's disrespect to the court and, and Halina Baba's whining and idiocy, you don't think that, that that doesn't turn the jury off? These people are taking time off from work, getting paid $40 a day to sit there, and Trump and his moron lawyer are making a mockery of the process? Juries get pissed. Now, Judge Kaplan is a tough judge. He's very smart, and he can be really rough on lawyers that he thinks are dumb, or if he doesn't like the defendant. I've seen it. Trump had to know this. He has plenty of New York lawyers on his payroll. How did he let this moron, uh, Helena Baba, be the trial lawyer before this type of judge? She can barely speak coherently. When she does speak, she sounds like, frankly, like an imbecile. Um, she's speaking to the press outside the courthouse and she begins, ladies and gentlemen, she thinks she's before the fucking jury still. In 34 years of practice, I've never said ladies and gentlemen to a jury, let alone to the press outside after the case. It makes you sound like a stiff asshole, like, like someone pretending to play a lawyer in a movie. You're supposed to speak to them more, to the jury, in a more colloquial manner as you'd speak to people you know because you want to get friendly with them. And with the press, you don't call them ladies and gentlemen. It's the fucking press. Instead, Haba is, is talking to the press and calling them ladies and gentlemen. I mean, these are the things I notice. Again, how did Trump let this dumb lawyer be the trial lawyer for him in front of a very tough federal judge in Lewis Kaplan. It's just astonishing to me. Now, granted, it was the easiest of all the trials that Trump has had or will have, so they gave her the easiest one. It was a four-day trial for damages only. The question of liability, as I said, whether he sexually assaulted Gene Carroll had already been determined. This was the easy trial. You just, just determine how much the damages were. That was it. It's not very difficult. The, the concepts are simple. Maybe they all thought that Helena Baba could handle it. She clearly couldn't. But it, 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 I'm telling you this. You have to trust me on this because I know this to be a fact. Some, many of his New York lawyers that Trump has had to warn Trump that Haba couldn't possibly be the right choice to try this case before Kaplan. It's utter madness. I can Again, I can guarantee you that she's never tried a federal case in her life before. There's just no chance. She may have argued on an appeal, but just because you can say these things in open court doesn't mean that everybody in the process doesn't think you're an idiot. Believe me. And she's so adamant that she's right. Like she's pushing her stupidity in our faces. And as I've always said, 
If you know me, you've heard this before. There are two types of dumb people. First, the ones who are dumb. They know that they're dumb, and they get out of your way, and they let you do what you need to do. Some people know that they're dumb. That's, that's, not, that's not bad. They know that they're dumb, and they know just to stay the fuck away. Just get out of my way. The second group of dumb people, like Helena Baba, are the dangerous ones. They're the ones that are convinced that they're brilliant, and they refuse to simply shut up and get out of the way. But back to Judge Kaplan. He's a stickler on the law. He expects lawyers to know the law, and he can be brutal. But maybe instead of going to Mar-a-Lago in Florida in the middle of the trial, Halina Baba could have spent a couple hours, I don't know, maybe learning the basic rules of evidence. She was unable to introduce a document into evidence because she didn't know the two-step process that takes like 30 seconds to learn. The judge humiliated her in front of the jury by calling a recess and telling her to refresh her memory on this tiny area of evidence. It's so simple. She was reading from a document that was not yet in evidence before the jury. I mean, this is like, you know, she's reading it out loud before the jury and it's not in into evidence yet. This is grade school lawyer shit. If you've ever watched a law show, Boston Legal, Perry Mason, I don't know, any law show on TV, just one episode. One episode while you're falling asleep in bed at night. You'd know how to introduce a document into evidence. But Helena Baba, on the other hand, she knows lipstick, and she knows hair, and she knows nails, and she knows fake boobs, and she knows cap teeth, and she knows baked Alaska at Mar-a-Lago where she can pretend she's a celebrity where she's walking around other morons wearing tuxedos with their little fucking bow ties, pretending that they're important, that they matter. You got uh, Donnie Jr.'s girlfriend. What's her name? What is her name? Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, Newsom, Valencia, Trump. Did I, I'm, I know I missed them. I think I missed one of the other guys in there that she married who was born rich and didn't actually earn any money on their own. You know, she's... Every day, it's another picture on social media with her fucking wig and and her nails and her hair and her dress and her fake eyes. Come on, man. This country is, is in the toilet. It's not just about what you can buy with your boyfriend's money. So Helena Baba, in the middle of the trial, she's walking around. Uh, she's walking around, you know, just like she's a celebrity. Among all the other grifters, I find it, uh, you know, completely offensive as a lawyer. I really do. I'm sorry. And you got to, you know, listen. I mean, first of all, who wants to support a movement like MAGA that counts Helena Baba as a hero? Think about that. All right. Now, I want you to listen to this menu at Mar-a-Lago on the night Helena Baba decided it was more important to be in Florida being photographed at Trump's club than preparing for trial the next day. Oh, and and the reason why the trial was delayed last week was in part because Haba claimed that she wasn't feeling well after spending time with family members who had COVID, so she flew to Mar-a-Lago instead. She was feeling so sick. Listen to to this fucking menu, all right? The Mar-a-Lago Club, Thursday, January 25th, 2024. First course, this is in the most, in gold script, probably real gold. Mar-a-Lago chopped salad, baby field greens, sprouts, English peas, vine-ripe tomato, 
European cucumber, chickpeas, red onion, sweet peppers, shaved asparagus, artichoke hearts, light Zinfandel dressing. My mouth is just, I'm watering. This is so exciting. Main course, you get a choice at Mar-a-Lago. Again, in gold script. Herb, the first choice is herb, uh, herb crust. No, that's herb crusted halibut. I think that's a fish. I'm not fancy like Helena Baba, but I think herb, cr- herb crusted halibut, that's a fish. You get variations of celery, chestnut. Oh, this is an Italian word. Oh, God, I hope I don't mess this up. Chestnut. Uh, begins with a G and then an N. Uh, chestnut. It's not gnocchi, so don't laugh. It's nochi, nochi, chestnut nochi. And black trumpet mushrooms, compressed apples, truffle sauce. Then you have the, the filet mignon, which is potato. I can't pronounce this word at all. Dauphinese, crispy broccoli, Bernays sauce. And then the dessert is the choice of Trump chocolate cake. This fucking guy's got four criminal trials, two civil trials that he's already lost. God knows how many more investigations, but it's important that all the grifters with their little fucking tuxedos and their bow ties get Trump chocolate cake, double chocolate cake, dark chocolate glaze, vanilla ice cream. Oh, it's just so exciting. It's just so exciting to be to be at Mar-a-Lago and be one of the the special people with all the other morons in the room and grifters. Now, understand this. When I'm on trial, I don't go anywhere but the courthouse, my office, and my home office. Every weekend is spent working while I'm on trial from the moment I wake up until 2 or 3 in the morning. Why? Why? Because I want to win. Okay? It's forget for the client. I want to win. And I know that I need to do more work. There is never enough work that you can do for a trial. You've got the rest of the year to go to Mar-a-Lago and look like an asshole. You don't need to do it in the middle of a trial? Is this? Am I even having to say this? It's almost inconceivable. <laughs> Taking a flight to Mar-a-Lago so you can, you, can, you can strap on the fake boobs and the fake teeth, the fake hair? <sighs> Why would anybody want to be known as the dumbest lawyer in the world? Lionel Hutz, the lawyer on The Simpsons, is way smarter than Helena Baba. She's proud of her stupidity, just like Trump. And we are all dumber for listening to her. Now, here is another clip of Haba after the verdict. It's part of the other clip, but I, I couldn't edit it down. But I want you to listen to this. She keeps saying that the First Amendment allows her to make an argument that was not properly before the jury, that Trump didn't assault Jean Carroll. This is stunning that even after she lost the trial, she still doesn't understand what the trial was about after she lost. Listen to this clip. Mr. Producer, roll the clip. We will immediately appeal. We will set aside that ridiculous jury. And I just want to remind you all of one thing. I will continue with President Trump to fight for everybody's First Amendment right to speak. Everybody's a right to defend themselves when they are wrongfully accused and to be able to say, I didn't do it. And to double and triple and quadruple down and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. But we are in the state of New York. We are in a New York jury, and that is why we are seeing these witch hunts, these hoaxes, as he calls them. And this is another one of them. 
be brought in New York, in states where they know they will get juries like this. It will not deter us. We will keep fighting. And I assure you, we didn't win today, but we will win because the record that was made in there and the behavior I saw in there, some of which was reported widely today, gave us the most perfect record on appeal. And even if I needed it, which I don't, we were stripped of every defense, every single defense before we walked in there. And I am proud to stand with President Trump because he showed up, he stood up, he took the stand and he faced this judge. And you know what? I'll continue to do so with him. Understand this. The First Amendment has limits. All right. You're responsible for your speech. If you defame someone, you can be sued. You can't threaten people and say that it's free speech. I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to murder you. Well, is that free speech? It's actionable. You can get sued for it. You can get arrested for it. So maybe you can speak, but there are limits. Helena Baba was apparently, I don't know, she probably was not going to class that day at Spreadham Widener University Law School, and she doesn't understand that there are limitations on speech. Why is this so hard for her to understand? She said that the trial was a hoax because the case was brought in New York? That the attorney general fraud case that was brought in New York, that was a hoax also because it was brought in New York and New York is a leftist state? Well, the allegation was that Jean Carroll was assaulted in a New York City department store. The only court which could have heard the case was the ones in Lower Manhattan. She claims that Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, brought her fraud case against Trump and his businesses in New York for an improper reason, like why New York? His business headquarters are located in Midtown Manhattan. That is in the state of New York. The only court which could hear that case were the ones in Lower Manhattan. And Baba is suggesting that Trump keeps losing his cases because they're in New York and that the fix is in. He keeps losing cases in New York partly because he hires morons for lawyers who don't know the law. They keep getting dumber. Just when I think Trump has the stupidest lawyer in New York, he goes to New Jersey and finds a stupider one. Try representing killers and mob bosses and cartel leaders in New York City. You think New York federal judges are doing me any favors at trials? You think I win any motions at trials? You know, very rarely, I can tell you that. I've been doing it for, you know, since Helena Baba was uh, not even born. I think she's 40. She's been a lawyer for, what, 10 years maybe? <laughs> Just, the government wins everything. In the Chapo Guzman case, the judge would barely let me question the witnesses. He limited every cross that I made whenever I scored a point. He wouldn't let me introduce into evidence the fact that one of the cooperating witnesses against Chapo had drugged other inmates in prison by giving them spiked coffee. They asked for coffee from him. He spiked it with drugs. The judge denied that coming into evidence because he said that the spiking of the inmates of their coffee was not an act of dishonesty. This is what judges do. You can either cry like a bitch, like a baba, or you can get over it and try to win the case. Stop your damn crying and whining. I don't like it. I don't like seeing it on basketball players when they they don't get the call and they make the face. A lawyer has to think fast and figure out ways around detours, around tough judges, and New York juries and federal cases are brutal. You know, I mean, I can tell you this. Uh, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. 
when we picked the jury for the John Gotti Jr. case. I mean, everybody in, in the whole country thought he was guilty, knew he was guilty. His father had been convicted and gotten life in jail. His uncle had been convicted in the same courthouse, basically for the same charges the year before. Everybody knew he was guilty. It was almost impossible to find a fair jury because everybody wanted him to be convicted. I was getting ready to do my opening statement, and, and juror number one starts sobbing in front of the other jurors in open court. We brought her to sidebar, and the judge asked what was wrong, and she said she was afraid she was going to get axed, thought she was going to get killed by the defendant. This is what it is. They're ready to convict him before the, the, the case even started, before the trial even started. 23 days later, he walked out of prison. All right? That's what happens when you have a lawyer who doesn't cry and whine like a bitch, who actually spends his time working and perfecting his craft, who doesn't view this as an opportunity just to get your fake tits on TV. Now, back to her speech outside the courthouse. Look, I don't like stupid people, but I especially don't like stupid women with big mouths. Nothing is worse than a loud-mouthed stupid woman. And, and I... And I, I challenge you to tell me that I'm wrong. And she talks about how great the record on appeal is, but then says, which I don't even need, the, the record on appeal is the entire record on appeal. If you don't have that, you can't even appeal. So you can't, you, what are you talking about? And not only that, you lose everything you do. She's acting like she's got some great track record for winning cases. This is not a parking garage $2,000 litigation. She, as I said, she was a low-level parking garage lawyer in New Jersey who went to a remedial law school for morons. My dogs are smarter than her, which I don't even need because I'm such a great appellate lawyer. Listen to me. My dogs, as I said, if they bit the postman, Helena Baba is, is not representing them. My cat is a genius compared to her. A genius. You submit the entire trial transcript. That is the record on appeal. Why is she saying that she doesn't even need it? This is gibberish. This is pure idiocy. Trump hired this woman and somehow is unaware that she is a moron. Are you comfortable with that? Doesn't it make it clear that he is the moron? Had he just kept his damn mouth shut and focused on things that, I don't know, mattered to America? He wouldn't have had to pay this E. Jean Carroll most of the $88 million. 65 of it was for punitive damages because he wouldn't stop talking about this woman. He doesn't want to put that money up. This guy doesn't, doesn't pay for his own lawyers. He makes idiots, uh, his idiot supporters pay for them. You're going to watch. He's going to ask his supporters to pay for this Helena, the Helena Baba's mistake, the $88 million uh, verdict. It could have ended at the $5 million he lost in April, but he just couldn't shut up about Gene Carroll. And even during the trial, he defamed her. This was the president of the United States. At some point, at some time, doesn't it ever dawn on him that this country and its problems are more important than his petty, stupid personal issues? By the way, the stunt that he pulled walking out of the courtroom while Gene Carroll's lawyer was doing her summation, this was something that that he and, and Baba must have cooked up. It just showed the jury that he thinks he's above the law. It was truly the most moronic cherry on top of the moronic Trump chocolate cake. I think that alone probably cost them $25 million of the $65 million in punitive damages. Now, I have done things that are defiant in court, the judges. I can remember one time 
a case that I thought that I was, I'm not going to mention the case, but I know, knew that I was very unfairly treated because the judge hated the defendant. And I just was pissed. After the trial was over, when the jury was no longer there, the judge came back out. Everybody stands to show respect to the court. That's what you do. Even if you hate the judge, you stand. You, that's, that's, look, we love this. This is why we do this. We respect all the traditions. The judge walked out. I sat. I wouldn't get up. I was the lead defense lawyer on the case, and I sat my ass in the seat while the entire uh, courtroom was standing, and uh, the judge and the clerks looking at me like I was insane. You know, a small protest, but to me, I needed to show him that I had no respect for him. But to walk out in the middle of the, tr- of the, middle of the summation when you know that the jury is going to get pissed, or maybe you don't know because you're too stupid. Look, regardless, all anybody is talking about is Trump's latest court loss. The $88 million he now owes uh, Gene Carroll, and this is his now third disastrous trial, all civil over the past few months. As I said, he's got four more criminal trials to go, and the election is in early November. We're not talking about the open borders. We're not talking about all the known terrorists that are walking into America and promising to blow us up, and will blow us up. They're crossing from Mexico. Mexico, terrorists who were incarcerated here for terror crimes, deported, and then snuck back in here for one reason, to kill us. We're not talking about the increased crime rates all over America due to the 13 million illegals that Joe Biden and his party allowed. We're not talking about major department chains closing their stores in big cities due to too much crime. We're not talking about the inflation and high prices that are killing the middle class. We're not, all we're talking about is Trump and his zipper problems. This is what I warned you all of. Now as the next trial gets ready in New York, it's coming soon, this one for his, another one of his frauds, but this is a criminal trial, we'll all be talking about that. Trump's personal problems that he caused himself. And it's not like he's talking about anything else. We have Iran attacking American troops in Iraq and Syria. They killed a few over the weekend in Jordan. Trump is talking about how Gene Carroll is a dirty liar and how he didn't get justice. Who gives a fuck if he doesn't get justice on his personal problems? We'll have this bullshit until the election. And after if he's somehow elected, it's going to be going on then too. Are you happy? Does that project a strong America to our enemies? You don't think they're laughing at us? An 80-year-old moron only worrying about his personal problems, except he's going to be in the White House maybe next year, not worrying about any of us, just himself. A guy with such bad judgment that he lets Helena Baba be his lawyer, lets her speak for him. A guy with such mental problems that he simply couldn't keep his mouth shut about E. Jean Carroll, and it cost him $88 million. Do we really not deserve better? What makes you think he's going to care for us when he can't even care for himself? Okay, I'm going to take a... Actually, you know what? Before we take a break, I'm going to go into in a bit, into two cases that I recently got involved in. One is in the news right now, although no one knows that I'm involved, and the other one is about to be in the news. I'm going to talk about our new feature of the podcast. I hope you're still with me and you're still listening. And I'm going to give you a song every week that you've never heard of that is wonderful. I'm going to ask you to find it on Apple Music or Spotify, whatever the hell it is you listen to. You're going to thank me later. 
I can think of very few listeners that I know that I have. I don't know all my listeners, obviously, but I can think of very few that I do know who listen who will have heard this song. It's four Brits and one dude from Nashville. And, and I am certain that they know this song. The rest of you, highly doubtful. Now, the song is by The Kinks, the British band from the 60s. It came out in 1965 and was originally a B-side to a single that flopped in England. They then used this song, the song I'm going to give you, um, which was the B-side, to be the A-side, the, the single in the United States. And the song did pretty well. The song is titled, Who Will Be the Next in Line? It's written by Ray Davies of the Kinks. I was a huge Kinks fan in in high school and saw them in concert, I believe, in 1982. I want you to find this song. I want you to listen to it and let me know what you think. It's really a snapshot in time of how music was back then and how much better music was than the slop that's coming out today. Take a break. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I was hired last week to represent an elderly doctor, an 85-year-old from Arizona. His crime, although the indictment has yet to be unsealed, stems from his alleged assistance in the suicide of a woman in the Kingston, New York area. That's upstate. She had been experiencing horrible chronic pain for years. The doctor worked for an organization that provides information about death and dying and advocates for people to be free to choose a peaceful death uh, if they want, instead of the massive extended suffering that people sometimes experience before passing. A woman with chronic pain called the organization and they forwarded the call to my client who worked with them. To me, this is kind of an obvious way that things should be. It's civilized, and if we can be permitted to make this sort of decision for our animals that we love so much, who don't get a say in the decision, we should be able to make such a decision for ourselves. Euthanasia is legal in seven countries, which include Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and more recently, Germany and Spain. Assisted suicide, in which somebody is given the means to end their own life, has been legal in Switzerland since 1942. Physician-assisted suicide is legal in the United States, in Oregon, California, Washington, and the District of Columbia. As I said, my client, the doctor, is 85 years old, and he's not in great shape, as you can guess. He spent nearly a week in prison in Arizona where he was arrested, and it did not uh, go well. He has a number of serious medical issues. He weighs about 130 pounds, and none of his medical issues were addressed when he was in jail. He received no medication, and although he's been out of jail uh, for a handful of days, he's still a mess physically. Obviously, any prison sentence that he receives in this case will result in him dying in prison. Now, this is a country where we feel so strongly about personal freedoms, free speech, freedom over our bodies, whether it's uh, to have an abortion or sex change. You can decide what you put into your body, whether it be healthy or unhealthy things. We in America feel strongly about bearing arms, about hunting and killing defenseless animals. But if you're in unbearable pain, and you don't have the right to end your life with dignity. We can abort fetuses, but not decide on our own to end our lives if we're suffering greatly. I, I think it's ridiculous. And how many sick people who could be saved are denied proper medical care because so much of our health care costs are spent on prolonging the lives of terminally ill people with incurable diseases? Prolonging your life by any means necessary is not the goal of everyone. 
Some people prefer quality of life instead of quantity of life, not just hanging on miserably or with horrible dementia or Alzheimer's, which robs a person of their dignity. And as I said early, not only is, uh, earlier, not only is euthanasia legal in many Western uh, countries, but it's also legal in some states in America. And my client, an 85-year-old doctor who, according to the government, got paid nothing by this woman who decided to end her life, who allegedly did what he did in order to just simply help her out of her suffering, may end up dying alone in prison instead of around his family without the medication he needs, and he himself will suffer greatly. The irony is, is just awful. And it's all because New York, a far leftist shithole, hasn't quite gotten around to passing a death with dignity law. This case will be in the news once the indictment is unsealed shortly, and I took the case because I feel strongly about the issues. This doesn't happen in every case. It's tough to feel emotionally wedded uh, to a billion-dollar fraud case. You do it because you want to win. Uh, this is one of the wonderful things about, I believe, being a defense lawyer. Every day is a different story. It's a different case. It's a different passion that you have. And, you know, would I rather be going to Miami for a case this winter instead of Kingston, New York? It'll have to do. I'm proud to represent the doctor, and I'm giving you the tip off before it comes out. Now, the next case that I took on this past week is another one that no one knows I'm involved in yet, mainly because my client has not yet been charged with a crime. This one is very important to me. This case, assuming it becomes a case, if he's, my client is charged, stemmed from an unsanctioned protest at Columbia University two weeks ago, in my mind, the most anti-Semitic university on the planet. Columbia has been a cesspool of Jew hate for decades now, and today it's worse than ever, if that's even possible. During uh, the, the recent so-called peaceful rallies at Columbia, that's according to CARE, the uh, Muslim terror uh, mouthpiece that basically acts on behalf of Hamas, in fact, has been charged in a criminal case as an unindicted co-conspirator with Hamas. The so-called peaceful rallies, the terrorist students, what they do is they demonize Israel and they blame it for the October 7th massacre that occurred committed by Hamas. At these protests at Columbia, they never call for peace. Calling for a ceasefire is not peace. They don't want peace. They want Hamas to be saved. They never call for the hostages to be released. They never criticize Hamas and the massacre and torture that Hamas committed. Instead, they praise it. They laugh about it. The student terrorists always call for the destruction of Israel and the murder of Jews. They always call for violence in the streets of New York City. They always support Muslim terror, no matter which terror group it is. They always hate America and burn American flags if they can. They never follow the university rules. They never don't break the rules and the laws during all of these so-called peaceful protests. But we're so, we have such a low bar for Muslim terror supporters, that unless they're actually caught sawing off ahead, we have to pretend that this is peaceful. It's not peaceful. And also, they always lie about everything. Whether they're claiming that no Israeli civilians were killed on October 7, or that no women were raped on October 7, or that Hamas doesn't hide in schools and mosques and under hospitals, even though all available evidence reveals that they always do. They lie about every last fact at issue, and they assume, much like their Nazi heroes did, and the Nazis are their heroes, they have stores named after Hitler uh, in, uh, in Gaza, uh, they believe that if a lie is told enough times, it will be believed. 
Imagine being a Jewish student on this campus and knowing that at any moment you can be attacked simply for being a Jew. Muslim terrorists who masquerade as students at Columbia have had their visas revoked and deported due to their terror activities and for violence on campus. This is what's happening at an American college campus. Muslim terror students are deported. You want to send your kid there? Jewish students have been assaulted. You can't walk around Columbia's campus and avoid the Jew hate. You simply can't. It's, it's in the classrooms, as so many professors at Columbia are massive Jew haters and Hamas supporters. The campus is fully diseased. And I assure you that if another 9-11 attack occurred in New York City, many students at Columbia would openly cheer and support it. Online radicalism through TikTok and other sources have already convinced 3 in 10 18 to 29-year-olds that Osama bin Laden's views were a force for good. Think about that. Killing 3,000 Americans, innocent. 3 out of 10 millennials believe it's a force for good. You add in the radical Muslim terror-supporting students that are shipped into Columbia by terror-supporting professors at Columbia, and you can understand why Columbia's campus is now a war zone. There is no interest in learning. It's just jihad. That's what they do every day. And as insane as the Palestinian terror rallies at Columbia have been calling for the destruction of Israel, the murder of Jews, violence on the streets of New York City, this is all over New York City now. Since October 7, the terror riots here have been off the wall. They've blocked airports and bridges, train stations. They've shut down roads. They've attacked people in the streets. A few weeks ago, a pro-Hamas group protested outside the cancer hospital. They have a pediatric cancer wing in the hospital, too. As children with cancer were looking out the windows, the terror supporters were screaming, shame, and make sure they hear you. They're in the windows. And it was at Sloan Kettering, Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they said, MSK, shame on you. You support genocide, too. The Hamas protesters claimed that the cancer hospital was complicit in the genocide of Palestinians. Why? Because the hospital accepted a donation from billionaire investor Ken Griffin after he spoke out against Harvard students who signed the letter blaming Israel for the October 7 attack. The attack in which Hamas uh, terrorists, not all because there were a lot of civilians as well, killed 1,200 people in Israel and took 240 hostages. So because someone criticized students who blamed Israel for their own massacre, a cancer hospital with cancer-ridden children had to be abused by these terrorists. Another lovely look for Hamas slash Palestinian supporters was their behavior outside a memorial at a synagogue in New York City for former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who died recently. Attendees of the memorial were besieged by a hundred terrorists outside the temple. They were verbally abused, threatened to have their homes burned, water was thrown at them, they were cursed at, smoke was blown in their faces, you know, just typical Palestinian madness. They held banners that read, Kissinger burns in hell, father of a million deaths. What the fuck is this guy even talking about? They're even talking about demilitarize and decolonize and shouted rest in piss. Naturally, no arrests were made. This is the city of Eric Adams, a useless lump of shit of a mayor who only seems to care about the size of the diamonds in his ears and how many clubs he can go to at a night and get lit. 
His favorability rating is the lowest of any New York mayor since polls have been taken, and naturally, he's under criminal investigation for financial involvement with a Muslim terror-supporting state, Turkey. Oh, that's the place where they provide safety to Hamas leaders. So at this Columbia unsanctioned terror rally about 10 days ago, led by terror groups that had been suspended previously by Columbia's administration for violating campus policy, according to media reports and the statements of some of the terrorist students, while they were calling for violence in the streets of New York, calling for Israel and Jews to be murdered, abusing countless counter-protesters, apparently Numerous participants claim that they experience some sort of foul-smelling spray at the protest. Columbia's Students for Justice in Palestine organization, that's a Muslim terror group that pretends that it's a student organization. They were one of the banned terror groups. They led uh, the January 19th protest. They claim that protesters were sprayed with a horrible-smelling stink bomb at the event And they later posted an update that the foul smell was identified as skunk, an Israeli-developed chemical weapon used as recently as December in East Jerusalem on Palestinian rioters. How the great scientists for this student terror organization could have determined this so quickly is not known at this time. Dozens of students told Columbia's newspaper that the spray left a strong odor, one that smelled akin to a dead body, according to one graduate student. I guess he's getting a a PhD in killing Jews. And he said that it, it led to nausea, burning skin and eyes, and soiled clothing and hair. Numerous students were hospitalized and received care for chemical inhalation. You understand what you have to do in order to get into the hospital and claim that your skin is burning and that your lungs are burning, you can simply fucking lie. Now, keep in mind, again, as I said, that to be a Palestinian terror supporter is to lie about every last thing in order to demonize Israel. Some of the terror supporting students claimed they were victims of a biochemical attack, chemical warfare, that they were dealing with chronic pain since the attack. One claimed that six days later that her endometriosis symptoms have increased, that her period cramps are so bad that she nearly passed out. She wrote on Twitter, quote, I'm pretty sure that the stuff was sprayed, that the stuff that was sprayed is an endocrine disruptor. She claimed that her skin was still burning. She couldn't sleep, that she was so exhausted from talking to the press, doing police testimonies. Seven days after she claimed she was sprayed with skunk skunk spray on campus, she claimed to still be dizzy and nauseous. Her cramps were still horrible. The smell of sewage, it didn't come out of her clothes, even with special soap. And to add to this almost comical mountain of lies was her claim that her attackers were seen on campus. This is the wonderful thing about the justice system. Keep talking. Keep talking publicly. Keep talking. I welcome it. The terror supporters at Columbia are playing the same uh, card as the terrorists in Gaza, claiming they're the victims of their own bad behavior After months of anti-Semitic social media posts from Columbia terrorist groups, demonstrators wearing uh, kafias and and chanting on campus, Intifada Revolution, which refers to the suicide bombing of Israelis by Palestinians, which killed killed nearly a thousand Israelis 20 years ago. The terror students have kicked down barricades on campus. They're cheering, Yemen, Yemen, make us proud, turn another ship around. They're for the Houthis, a Muslim terror group. 
I mean, an Iranian-backed Muslim terror group, a designated terror organization based in Yemen that's been attacking commercial vessels since the outbreak of the Gaza war. No students are disciplined of any note. No, no, no real discipline unless you uh, hit somebody with a stick. I think that guy was charged. But the terror groups are allowed to threaten, go nuts on campus. They were suspended, but they ignored the suspension, and there was no discipline for that either. They're threatening to withhold their tuition. I can only imagine how much tuition they're actually paying. They don't want to pay their tuition. Kick them the fuck out of school. No, can't, because Columbia is a terror university. After months of these terror activities on campus, the so-called skunk spray was released, apparently in such a small amount that no one actually saw it happening. It wasn't like it was a water cannon of skunk spray that was sprayed on the crowd. So after the spray allegedly was released, the violent protesters are now crying victim, much as Hamas did after October 7. This same mob of terror students calling for the murder of everyone in Israel, cheering for terror organizations, and calling the police the KKK, suddenly is begging the NYPD to make arrests. And suddenly our leftist governor, that horse-faced Mr. Ed, what's her name, Kathy Hochul, who hasn't done a thing to stop Muslim terror riots all over New York City, she called for the alleged perpetrators who released the spray to be charged, quote, with a hate crime or at a minimum some form of assault. These are her words, not mine. I represent one of the two men alleged to have done this so-called spraying in the crowd. And just as Hamas in Gaza lies and claims that there are no terrorists hiding in hospitals, that there are no weapons inside mosques, schools, or hospitals, that there were no civilians killed on October 7, no rapes by Hamas of their victims before killing them on October 7, despite clear evidence to the contrary, the Muslim terror students at Columbia are lying too. There have been no arrests for 10 days for reasons I don't know. I can't tell you why. But if they're testing the substance allegedly sprayed during the terror protest on January 19, they'd know that the lies of a biochemical attack by the terrorists turned victims are just more Hamas lies. Except this time, the terrorism and lies committed by them are a few miles from ground zero, where 3,000 Americans were killed by their heroes, not 6,000 miles away in Gaza. We let this disease into our city. And this disease is spreading and becoming more emboldened. My client may be arrested or may not be. If he is, I'm going to get the chance to cross-examine every single terror student who opened up their fucking mouths on social media. And all the lies they made will be exposed. And I'm going to have a jury of regular New Yorkers who remember 9-11, not Muslim terror supporters, their, their echo chamber at Columbia. And I promise you that this will not be pretty. I've been waiting a long time for this case. I got it now. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Thanks for tuning in. Listen to that song. Speak to you next week.